Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 4th, 2017, a Tuesday, and this is episode 195. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And in today's episode, we'll look back fondly on opening day. And we'll make a few predictions and be wrong in the process and we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show it's time for the drink of the week jake in in honor of opening day starting for us uh, i decided to go with a winking beverage oh boy what a beer natty bow kind of reminiscent of your uh holdover can i guess that was in your refrigerator your pounder the baseball beer it's the baseball beer uh we'll, we'll call it the skunky terrible beer that uh I, I gotta be honest national bohemian six months later no worse it's only because it was in the can if it was in one of those bottles it would have been awful <laughs> but thank goodness for cans that's why people are starting to switch over to cans i see you just pop yourself a can as well and that is certainly no 12-ouncer that you're holding there. No, this is a pint of Boddington's Pub Ale, mm. imported Ooh. from Britain. Oh, very it, fancy. It made its own Brexit into my refrigerator. Well, you're going to be pairing tariffs on that. So, folks, if you want to know what other tariffs Jake English is going to be uh, providing to the European Union, Jake, you didn't like Boddington's? Have you ever had that before? Yeah, I have. It's only meh. Wow. Okay. Um Jake, where can people find where you're drinking meh beers? Come find me on Unta- Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I am at MAGN8606. And with that, Jake, I think it's time for a checkup. Scotty, we've had one game. How can we have a medical wing? How can there possibly be injuries to review? Jake, you've met the Baltimore Orioles, right? Ah, yes, yes, of course. Of course, course, Darren O'Day, illness. There was talk of him maybe being DL'd, but uh, word came out today that uh, it looks like he's going to be okay. So cross your fingers, I guess. Do you think he'll get in the game just to face Joey Bats tomorrow? No. I don't think that's why they would bring him in. Do I think it's going to be possible he'll show a game? Yeah, it's possible. But I think the Orioles are going to do everything in their interest to get to the Yankees series without having to use their day. I thought it was really interesting with Buck talking during the postgame after opening day saying, I really want Darren to get off this season and get off to a good start. Um, Last season was devastating for Darren O'Day. It's as simple as that. So He, He knows what a Darren O'Day who's not healthy looks like. Yep. Uh, can I talk about freak out medical wing section? 
So this is not actually injury, but you just going like a sissy girl, basically. Correct. Gotcha. As per normal. Uh, I could not have been the only person who winced and cringed heavily after Manny Machado made that play. Rolled over his wrist. It looked awful, but he played the rest of the game. Buckshaw Walter said that he had a raspberry. So I'm, I'm calling that a wrist raspberry in the medical way. Is that a real thing? A wrist raspberry? A raspberry, yeah. It's like when you uh, uh, get a rash on your skin. I got a raspberry once when I uh, fell off my roller skates and landed on my butt on the uh, on the driveway when I was a kid. One second. Yeah. Can I just tell you something? Yeah. Never put in wrist raspberry in Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, other things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do things in 130 characters less because it'll end up on this week on the Twitters. Scotty, I'm going to start with a tweet from O's Stats and Facts, who tweet at Birdland Stats. Last night, Manny Machado recorded hit number 700, becoming the 34th Oriole to do so. You know, it's really interesting. When you uh, stop and take stock of what Manny Machado's career will be like, regardless of what uniform he wears, and oh God, please wear orange and black, but regardless of all that, He's going to be a pretty special player, and it's pretty cool watching these little milestones happen to think when it's all said and done, considering how early he started, he's going to have a pretty incredible career. You're absolutely right. He is going to probably have a very incredible career, just like this guy, too. He comes from at Buster underscore ESPN. Of course, it's Buster Olney, and he tweets the following. Sometime this year, Mike Trout will likely collect his thousandth career hit and 200th career home run. He's 25 years old. That sounds good. Is that good? That sounds good. For all those individuals that are old men that like to have counting stats, such as hits and home runs, that puts in perspective how good Mike Trout is. It's as simple as that. And any of the discussion about like, oh, you know, Manny's Manny's better than the Mike Trout. Let's let's not do this to ourselves. No, only Australians do that. Uh, So the next week comes from Matt Kremenitzer. You can follow him at Matt Kremenitzer. And, um, well, we've had this bottled up all season. So key for Blue Jays this season, their fans not throwing bottles at opposing players. I like it. Yeah, that didn't happen at all at Camden Yards yesterday. It's it's crazy. It is crazy. crazy. Bats got thrown, though. They did indeed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our last tweet for this week on the Twitters comes to us from Mike Petrelio, who tweets at Mike underscore Petrelio. He's with MLB StatCast. He says, The Trop is playing money for nothing by the Dire Straits while introing the Yankees. Excellent. Hashtag microwave ovens. That is expert trolling. That's expert trolling. It took me a couple of years to figure out that the Orioles were playing the, the background music, The Loser, by Beck. And I was like, all right, that's cute. But that, that's, that is excellent. Great A. I like so little of what happens in the Trop, but that, mm, that's DJ Kitty. I got to give it to him. Remember DJ Kitty, right? No. In fact, DJ Kitty is also something that sounds like you shouldn't look it up on Urban Dictionary. Uh, trust me, you should definitely look up DJ Kitty, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, it, it's it's a great find. Just definitely take it out. Go ahead. Um, there's some also great instances that happened to opening day. Um, why don't we go ahead and find out uh, what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, uh, and just particularly just wine in general. Well, we promised in last week's show that it would be the final episode for 2017 without real baseball to talk about. And ladies and gentlemen, the 
first game is in the books, and Orioles baseball is back. We're going to talk about yesterday's game, but as we do so, I want to caution you. One game does not a season make. It is impossible to draw too many conclusions from a single game, but hey, if we win tomorrow, that's two in a row. And if we win the next game after that, that is a winning streak. It has happened before. How cliche. How cliche. All right. So Scotty and I made our annual pilgrimage uh, to Birdland yesterday. I started off my day with the aforementioned baseball beer. If you don't know that story, I'll make sure that we link it in the show notes. Uh, survived survived the six-month-old Natty Bow, and then we headed down to Iron Rooster for breakfast, which, as always, fantastic. Yum. Although you ordered an old man breakfast, two eggs, hash browns, and uh, was, there, was there anything else? Like, was there bacon? Yeah, there's bacon. I'm American. Okay. There, so, was also, there was also cocktails with grapefruit and gin in it, but well, that's that's a whole other thing. Morning Glory, Morning Glory, yes, highly recommended the the uh, two egg breakfast and Morning Glories at Iron Rooster. Of course, I had to go with the cockle doodle do. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. And was it a cockle doodle do or a cockle doodle don't? It was a cockle doodle doo doo. Oh lordy! <laughs> All right. So afterward, we uh, walked up the street and had a uh, had a good time at uh, various places of of uh, ill repute. Uh, ran into a couple of good friends from from the uh, Birdo sphere. The best part, I think, about opening day is just running into folks by accident on the street. Where it's like the cool thing about opening day is that so many people are excited about Orioles baseball. But all of your Orioles Twitter, all of your your friends that are into baseball, everybody's there. Um, and that was that was pretty cool. It was it was nice running into folks. Yeah. Um, so that we met up with uh, Andrew Stetka, Jabby Burns. We also saw Burt Rohde from Section 336. Indeed. Literally standing by the side of the road drinking out of a brown bag. So Josh and Matt, we need you to intervene as soon as possible because the zaniness has taken a dark turn. <laughs> Uh, but great times getting some beverages with the guys, talking things over. And Jake, uh, you may have molested Jabby Burns a little too much. I don't think there is too much. All right. There's no such thing. But finally... When he tells his story, that will be part of it. Finally, after the molestation, it was game time. It was time to go into the stadium and uh, watch some baseball. So let's talk opening day. Let's talk pomp and circumstances because, Jake, you are all about pomp and circumstances. Um, the pageantry of it all, I, I just, I'd love, but I have, by the way, I'm just going to point out we're almost 11 minutes into the show. Still have not talked about any real baseball. Yeah. Give it some time. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about a real important issue of the pomp and circumstances associated with opening day. Jim Hunter needs to commit. Look, people say that he's a homer. People say that he's all about the organization. If he really was, he would forgo that tux with the orange bow tie and cummerbund and vest, and he would invest in a orange leisure suit a la dumb and dumber mm. that needs to happen and it needs to happen next year i'm thinking orange leisure suit orange glasses um certainly like a la elton john from the <laughs> 1970s basically all right i like where you're going with this <laughs> uh i i thought the first pitches were kind of lame what did you think i thought bring the mayor out terrible uh the senate guy terrible fred manfra I'm actually, I kind of like the Manfred yeah, coming out. I, frankly, I would have preferred to just be Manfred. I, I kind of just wanted it to be Manfred to come out and and do it. I have some revisionist history of Fred Manfred. Okay. I feel like every time I heard him call a game, I, I, I would complain about it because he was either behind the play or what have you. But I've discovered I'm going to miss Fred in the booth. So I was uh, I was glad to see him on opening day. I, I'm really disappointed that Fred Manfred didn't come out and like Tiny, Tiny Team Jones didn't go out there and basically have to catch Fred. So... Uh, 
Although he's so tiny, he's probably he can't get those high strikes, but it's true. It's true. All right, so next was player intros. Player intros went a little bit different than last year, yeah. in one notable exception. Yeah, um, Hunsu Kim was actually cheered. Yeah, we didn't boo him. Yeah, I guess we I guess we screwed that up. Yeah. Any other surprises from uh, from the player intros? Mm, not really. I thought it was interesting that uh, Darren O'Day didn't get more of a warm reception than he did. It was really he, he. I think he was out applauded by Tyler Wilson. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that uh, Orioles fans also have a proclivity for um, cheering for uh, white players. Is the best way to describe it uh, pretty heavily. So like Trey Mancini or Jory Ricker last year. Uh, there's, I wouldn't say it's racist. Actually, I'm going to say it. Some, there might be some racism going on here. Wow. Just saying. Wow. And and now Bird's Eye View takes the dark turn. Right. We were always on that soapbox. It's just in different fashions. Reaction to the Blue Jays, as as uh, expected, a lot of boos. I love booing Jose Bautista. Who there, doesn't? They will never get old. There yeah. will be never be an opportunity for me to boo Jose Bautista that I did not take with gusto i was impressed with camden yards because they gave a warm reception to steve pierce but i would also point out too the intro was welcome back to baltimore steve pierce which again is a nice tip of the cap it's not just steve pierce it's a welcome back to baltimore i don't recall it happening in the past for opening days but maybe i'm misrepresenting or having just the aspect where no team would ever sign an Orioles cast off as well. but <laughs> Well, I don't think we're looking at this properly. Okay. It's only a matter of time before we trade back for him about midseason. Sure. That's a good point. Anything else uh, Anything else going on for, for the pomp and circumstance? What, one last thing I want to touch on. Okay. It doesn't really fit anywhere else. Uh, the fans. I thought the fans were pretty good on opening day into the game. Because, you know, the, the opening day crowd is a little different than, than a regular game. Really? You have, you have more people there that wouldn't ordinarily be at the stadium. But uh, watching the, the stadium erupt in a chance of USA every time Adam Jones got into a, a high-pressure situation, I really hope that continues. Well, it, it was interesting, too, because Jones put it on his Twitter later that day. The USA chance, that was pretty awesome. So uh, It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I kind of hope that becomes a thing. Um, I don't know how long that'll go into the season, but... I think it's a nice representation, Jones, as it continues to the season, just as a, a, a subtle hat tip, basically. Honestly, I think it'll happen as long as he stays hot. My wife always thinks he's hot, so I don't <laughs> think there's going to be an issue here. Let's talk offensive performances. Uh, line of construction. Um, I'm actually was pretty happy with it, all things considering. I would have probably have switched Kim and, and, and Seth Smith, but in all honesty, it's a minor thing at best. And, and Smith did respond with a double. He did. At the top of the lineup. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, one game is perfectly an indication that everything should be the way it is. That's but. all we've got, man. One data point. Yeah. One data point. Uh, here's something I thought was interesting. Yeah. Trey Mancini made his appearance on opening day as a pinch hitter and he delivered. delivered. He, yeah, delivered. he did his job. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Trey Mancini later, but... So you're saying his mom was excited? His mom was very excited. <laughs> or does she just get excited when he hits dongs? I, I, well, I, I, Are you saying Trey Mancini mom like dongs? I'm not. All right. I'm not. Um, Chris Davis was, well, he was Chris Davis, right? He had two strikeouts and a hit, which led to an RBI. So I think that's basically what you're going to get from him. That's not a bad thing. It, I'd trade one for yeah, the other. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about the big time, though. Let's talk about the Trumbo Dong. The uh, Trumbo Mumbo Bumbo. Yeah. So it was hit right into our section. It was. <laughs> it was literally hit about five rows in front of me. 
And I literally saw it coming. I was just like, there may be a chance I could get this one. And if you go back and watch the video, because I've done this a few times, the awkwardness that I am like, oh, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm like, no, I'm not going to get it. So I just throw my hands up in the air. You know, you were not the only awkward person because the person sitting to my right, right next to me, totally unaffiliated with our party, was rubbing up on me trying to get close to the ball. I was like, dude, there's no way there's you're no going to get to it. that ball. Like, please, zero chance. I will hug after after the home run and celebration, but you need to just you need to. Get, I was gonna get Jake, a, I was gonna get a wrist raspberry. In, in all honesty, it sounds like he got the ball. <laughs> he did indeed. <laughs> he got all the celebration. So the the offense turned in nine hits for the day, which you know nothing to sneeze at. But hey, but the majority runs. of those were at the very beginning of the game, and then the offense basically didn't get on base from, what, the fourth to the eighth inning? Uh, so they did that uh, playing against Toronto thing where the offense goes quiet for a few innings. They played that whole, hey, we don't hit for a high average and have on base percentage, so we don't put as many people on base, and when we do, it's going to be a big inning. And uh, there was no big inning. Um, so, yeah, that it was classic Orioles offense baseball and classic what you should be expecting from um, this team going forward, which is dongs and angst, angst and dongs. Trademark Derek Arnold. That only works, though. Maybe got to eat. If you get good defense and pitching. So let's go first to the defense. First of all, Manny Machado. Yeah. Ridiculous. Absolutely. Ridiculous. And we should be tired of it at this point. But being there in person to watch it. I nearly pulled my hair. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, what is going on here with Manny Machado? It's... It is otherworldly. Um, we weren't alive to see Brooks, but I can honestly say that he is the greatest defensive player I've ever seen play, play for the Baltimore Orioles in my life. Yeah, and and the thing was that at the time in the game, you know, tensions were high, every pitch mattered, and he delivered. Yeah. It, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, I, just but just think about that: greatest defensive player in the past thirty years for the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, absolutely, easy. I mean, it's just... I'm not sure you'll see another one this this good again in a lifetime. Yeah. You know, this might be the best uh, defensive player our kids ever see. It's it's, it's it's possible. Certainly better than Joey Rickard. Joey Rickard was inserted as a defensive replacement for your boy, Hyunsu Kim. Yeah, but he had that awful play where he misjudged the ball and it dropped right in front of him. And he does this all the time. He takes the worst first step. So the one ball that fell right in front of him, it was interesting because we were in left field, so we were right behind him watching him. And the ball comes up, and it's like, okay, it's coming right for me. And he takes a step towards his left. And then he has to shuffle back, and by that time, he can't move forward. So he almost stutter steps is the best way to describe it, and then realizes, oh, the ball's not going there. If I can make the decision in the air of where the ball is coming, and I realize I'm an extra 10 feet up, so it's a little bit easier for me to see, it's not a good sign. Like He does not do a good job reading balls coming off the bat. I feel like we were on the Joey Rickard uh, haterade train last year, so I feel like I feel like I was definitely on that train. I think you were trying to reel me in. I, I I'm going to ask you this: Do you think that Joey Rickard's defensive, uh, the fact that he needs work in the outfield, will be a factor in the upcoming roster crunch when an outfielder's got to be dealt with in some way? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that's something that, that the Orioles have to consider. Yeah. Uh, speaking of defense, I want to make sure that we talk about Chris Davis. Oof. Chris Davis was picking it yesterday. He was amazing with some of those plays that he was making. You know, Chris Davis, I, I will not go as far as to say that Chris Davis is a gold caliber first baseman, but he is 
right under that level. I, I think that he's in the hall of very good. I will say this much from every single defensive metric from first baseman. He is top three. Really? I'm serious. He's that good. He is that good from just picking balls and stuff like that. Like he should have been right there as a gold glove candidate. And the fact that he wasn't, I think was a major snub. Can I get all homery on you for a sec? Yes. All right. Uh, before the 2013 season. Right. Uh, Chris Davis is now the everyday first baseman for the first time. He's, he's excited about it. Sure. He went down to spring training early for one reason. Yeah. To work on his defense. Yeah. And instead he hit 53 home runs. Yeah. So what I've decided in my world is the fact that Chris Davis has a great defensive showing on opening day means that he's going to hit a zillion home runs. Wow. You heard it here you first. You heard it here first. <laughs> a zillion home runs. A zillion Pace of play is really going to take an impact there. It's it's going to be difficult, but you know what? I will sit through a zillion home runs. Okay. Um, pitching performances. Gossman came out, opening day starter. Um, some good things, some bad things. Um, mainly the bad thing that we were talking about was the four walks was, I thought, was uh, it was a killer for Gossman. Uh, he had a few good innings, but those walks really gave him some longer innings in the 20s and got him out of the game earlier than I'm sure the Orioles would have liked. So... Um, some positive things too, in terms of velocity, um, and, and kind of mixing up pitches, but that walk command is going to have to improve if he's going to be, um, a top of the rotation starter that folks are hoping he's going to turn into be. So do you give any credence to the fact that the first day out you just kind of have to throw it away? Uh, you're absolutely right. I should definitely throw away Madison Bumgarner going out there and basically pitching a no hitter into the sixth inning. Yeah, I don't buy it either. <laughs> a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, the first, no, I don't buy that. Let me ask you this. Do you buy what Buck Schulter was trying to sell us in the postgame uh, press conference saying that because the Blue Jays are such a high-powered offense and you, high intensity, you can't take any batters off, that that is what leads our best pitcher to be only get through uh, five and five and a third? I buy that to a certain degree because the one comment he made was it's sometimes better to throw the fourth ball as opposed to just throwing it down the plate. And to a certain regard, I can understand that. But there were a few walks and kind of nibbling of the plates to especially the bottom of the order that I thought was, eh. Like I said, it wasn't grade A Gaussman. It was, all right, that's like a B minus is the best way to describe it. Um, he just didn't have that that filthiness that we saw during spring training. And do I think it's going to be able to come back? Absolutely. But Gaussman wasn't on point um, with all of his pitches. He also didn't mix any of his like slider or curve in as well, which was interesting as well. So, Well, if uh, Gaussman's not going to have his best, which is going to happen from time to time, the only way that's a winning formula is if the, the bullpen picks him up. And they did. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I liked Givens for more than one inning. The oh. multiple inning appearance, and I feel, I feel like you have beaten this drum all throughout our, our tenure in this podcast, but his ability to come in and get, what, four or five outs, I think makes that game, especially with Darren O'Day unavailable. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, the Orioles have to have relief pitchers that go for more than one inning. It doesn't have to be two innings, but they have to be able to come in there, close out an inning when the starter comes out, and then come back for another inning the next day. So, yeah, Givens definitely do that. And Givens, yeah, he got hit around a little bit um, and gave up that that tying run. Um, but in all honesty, the rest of the pitches that Givens threw, they were absolutely filthy. I mean, the Blue Jays didn't come close to hitting it. Um, so I, Givens definitely gets the tip of the cap. I'm looking forward to see what Givens is going to do this season. I personally think that Givens really should maybe be 
a seven to eighth guy is the best way to, put, to describe it. How awesome is it to have a washed up shortstop be somebody that you trust so much coming out of the bullpen? Cannot wait for Darryl Alvarez to get up here. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about Tyler Wilson. What's he going to play shortstop? Yeah, right. Can he play shortstop? I, I was surprised to see Tyler Wilson make the team. Not as surprised as I was to see Oliver Drake make the team, but I was surprised to see Tyler Wilson. I think that him making the club basically says we don't believe in him enough to be a starter at all that all the other guys that could possibly have this job have to go down and get starts in the in triple uh, a so they can come up and do a spot here and there but wilson you know he pitched okay here's the thing with wilson is he has got no velocity i still think mike Wright might be the better bullpen arm but wilson does a very good job with pitch sequencing um and as a bullpen arm that's incredibly valuable um so Wilson slash right, I think, could be a serviceable um, mop-up slash fifth or sixth. So if someone came out in the fourth or fifth, they could come in and fill that multi-inning role. And the Orioles are going to need to have multi-inning relief pitchers because I can tell you right now, the Orioles are going to average right around five and a third innings pitch per their starters. And everyone's going to be freaking out. Um, but they're going to have a bunch of these guys that can go multiple innings and cover um, the traction, which is going to be left on them. Well, the multiple innings is probably the deciding factor there because, again, the Orioles' offense had shut itself down against the Blue Jays. We've seen this script before, and so had uh, Buck Showalter. And so he went to a guy that he thought could get him multiple innings so that he could save the best for last. Uh, Drumroll, please. Zach Britton did make an appearance at the end of the game against the Blue Jays. Yay. What should have been the end of the game anyway. Yeah, uh, Zach Britton came in and pitched two innings. I was surprised to see him come out for the second one, but he was he was pretty effect, uh, pitch pitch stingy in his first inning of work. I think he did like nine pitches or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. He got hit around a little bit. He had a lot of balls that um, really weren't struck hard, but were just in the wrong place is the best way to describe it. So one ball right up the middle, one ball that kind of got by scope. I got to tell you, from a... Going back to defense, I hate to do this. Scope had a terrible game. Scope had a terrible game defensively. All those scoops that Davis made, Scope threw a lot of balls in the dirt. And again, he had some terrible range. So I'm not sure if he was just not judging the field because of the new sod. Um, but Scope had a terrible defensive game. So hopefully he gets that together and, and figures out what was going on. I think Buck hinted at that and he said that the balls are, are hanging a lot lower to the ground than they used to. And that's probably just coach speak to cover up for his guy. It's probably the case. Or he's just going to go to Nicole afterwards and be like, hey, put some rubber down there. We want to have this bouncing a little bit. But I think that uh, Britain is, is, he can't be as perfect as he was last year. So oh, we're going impossible. to be disappointed. But. I mean, my my question to you is this. With what you saw, is that concerning, or is that just, hey, it's a one-time event? Hey, it's a one-time event. All right, I'm going to do it. All right. You you said, I hate to go back to defense. I wanted to wait until we talked to the pitchers in case in case any of this came up. Sure. Talk to me about Castillo Oof. and what he did. All right, so you saw the tweet I put out today, I'm, I I'm assuming. So I put out a tweet. I went to brooksbaseball.com, um, pulled up the pitch charts to look at the strike zone because there were reports during the game from Avi Miller. Um and he mentioned that there was a few calls that uh, Wellington had definitely blown. I wanted to see how many calls that Wellington actually blew. I counted 11 pitches that were in the strike zone um, that were not called strikes. Um, and part of that is because of pitch framing. Part of it is because potentially the umpire. But that's a lot of pitches that should have been strikes that didn't get called strikes. Just emphasizing the one aspect is Wellington Castillo is not a very good pitch framer. And I understand that Russell Martin also got hosed on a few calls, but he certainly didn't get hosed 
and as many strikes as Wellington Castillo is. And we know Russell Martin is one of the best pitch framers in all of Major League Baseball. Okay. So I'm not going to try to defend Wellington Castillo as being a pitch receiver here because I don't think that case can be made. But comparing the two, Russell Martin and Castillo, a guy who's great at it and a yeah. guy who's weak at it, oh, yeah. I think is, is kind of a bogus argument, right? Oh, I completely agree. I just... The one thing I would say is there were some people who said, well, the umpire is just terrible. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, you can't say is that cedar strong. Yeah. yeah. And they said, oh, the umpire was terrible. But the fact of the matter is, if that's the case, then he's going to build calls for both Martin and Castillo yeah. at a increased rate. Um, and that didn't look like it was the case. It still looked like Castillo uh, far outranked um, Russell Martin in terms of not getting those strike calls. I think there are two things that we're going to have to do here. We're gonna, One, we're going to have to watch uh wellington castillo's performance and two we're gonna have to watch caleb joseph mm. and we're gonna have to see what the difference is between the two because i think as we get to the later part of the season and we're trying to scrape it out to to make the playoffs again buck showalter is going to have a very serious problem on his hands where he's going to have to consider do i want the efficacy of my pitchers to be higher the pitchers who can use all the help they can get or do i want, do I want that offense that comes from wellington castillo and i think it'll be a tough call i think it's just going to be whoever's hot at the time is going to play it's simple as that. So whoever's getting RBIs. Whoever's baby needs to eat, he's going to get to play. All right. Well, the uh, the game was a near mirror image of the 2016 wildcard game. And it's pretty crazy how evenly matched these two teams are. And it was great to see the Orioles pull this one out. Uh, because the O's need to steal every last win they can against this team, against the AL East. Basically, the O's and the Jays are going to claw and scratch their way through the 19 games that they'll play this season. And these... The one run, extra inning affairs, these are the ones that are going to hurt the most. We talked about the Orioles being a marginal team for whom everything needs to go right. And well, everything went right or as right as they could have gone on Monday. I'll take it. I'd also completely agree with you. Getting any single game against the Jays is going to be critical. Just coming back to last year, the Orioles finished 89-7-3. The Jays finished 89-7-3. But the Jays had the better head-to-head record which again forced the Orioles to go up to Toronto. Winning the series, season series against the Jays is absolutely critical um, for any tie-breaking games like a game 163 or even a wild-card play-in game. They need to have good results against these teams that are going to be potential people that they play in the wild card game but it's the whole cliche of the 50 50 and whatever you do with the third 50 is what makes the difference sure you know if, if the orioles had just gone out and and won by a ton of runs or if they had you know if estrada had had a great game and they yeah. had, and they lost five to one okay fine you lose opening day no big deal it's one out of 162 but this game three two razor thin i would edge. have loved to hear you say that yesterday <laughs> because i guarantee you would never say if we walked out there and we lost eight to one you'd be like oh it's not going to be your year. But if you actually step back and look at it, you know. Not drunk. Not drunk. <laughs> uh, a few drinks of the week fewer than maybe we're consuming on opening day. You know what I'm saying, though? The, 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 the margin of victory is what makes it an important game. Whereas when it's just one of 162, meh. You know what? One thing we haven't done is we haven't predicted what's going to happen in these 162 games. You know what we should do? We should do what we do every year and make some terrible 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 predictions all right so this is something we do every year jake we get sit down 
We write our notes down on our piece of paper, and then we surprise ourselves with how stupid each one of us are. Um, and every single season, this happens. Have we ever gotten any of these right? No. 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 I think last year we said 81 wins, or like 82 wins, and 89 happened. So I, I picked 79 wins. Oh, 79. Wow. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Keith Law. That was right after they got Gallardo, and I was not oh, happy. Oh, we were not happy with that. That is right. Um, well, that worked out well for the Orioles anyway. So, um, <laughs> so Jake, normally we go through everybody and everything, but honestly, who really wants to do that? You guys are just interested in the Orioles and where they're going to finish. Jake, where are you picking them this year? I am picking the Orioles to uh, be the second wild card team wow. again. Now, how many ever wins that takes? It's just how crappy the rest of the AL is gotcha. or how good the rest of the AL is. I think the Orioles are a team that at least wins 85 games and anything beyond that is the, you know, the magic, some of the parts, Buck Showalter effect. I think the Orioles are going to win anywhere from 86 to 88 games, again, depending on how vicious the AL is. And I think that they will be that second team in the wild card. They are a marginal playoff team. I just hope the margins are wide and I hope they have a better chance than they had last year. Jake, I, I, I somewhat agree with you, and I do think they are going to be a winning baseball team. That being said, I don't see how the Orioles are going to be that second wild card team. There are just so many other good teams in the American League this year, from the Jays to the Astros to the Mariners to the Rangers. I just don't see it, and I think the AL East is going to beat up on itself pretty well. So, Jake, I'm going to say the Orioles are going to finish 82-80, and 80, and they're going to finish... In fourth place in the AL East, I'm. I don't think it's crazy. I don't. Yeah, I don't. But let me just let me just say this: when it comes to the AL wild card, I think the AL is a pretty good league this year. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at the West, you've got, um, let's see, you've got the the Mariners who mm-hmm. who might be good. You've got uh, the, both teams in Texas. I tell you right? what, you've everyone the, keeps overlooking the Astros. It is absolutely ridiculous that people keep overlooking the Astros. I, I think those three teams in themselves. You know, beyond the fact that the the A's and the Angels might steal a game here and there, those teams are going to beat themselves up just like the AL East is, and then go to the Central. Yeah, you know, but- you've you've got the Indians, you got the Tigers. Okay, that's it. So the the two coasts are really going to beat themselves up. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, you come back to who is going to be above the Orioles, and I come back to it's going to be the Red Sox, it's mm-hmm. going to be the Jays. Mm-hmm. But who's that going to be that third team? And people are just like, there can't be another team in the AL East that's going to be better than the Orioles. But I tell you what. A team that people are undervaluing right now in Birdland is the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be a really good team this year. Kevin Kiermaier coming back, playing for a full season. Evan Longoria over there. And a really decent starting rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be a really good team. And I think people are going to be surprised at how good that team is um, in the American League East. That ain't working. That's the way to do it. And the Yankees are just going to be the bottom. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah. No, it's, there's, no, there's no hope. I mean, I understand they've got a ton of prospects and a ton of young guys, but how many years did we hear as Orioles fans, hey, we got a bunch of young guys, and they're going to turn it around for us this year. No, it is time for them to have a losing season, okay? It, I don't know how they had that winning season last year. It is time for them to have a losing season. It doesn't have to be a big losing season, at least like 79 and you know 84 or did, whatever it comes did out. they sign Giovanni Cairo? not yet they haven't not yet but if Tanaka still is pert and has to go out for the season that might be the case so or Doug Fister all right um Orioles MVP Jake who are you going with I am gonna go out on a limb here yeah I think it's gonna be the cap 10 oh you know what I like this pick because that's exactly what I have my notes too I think the cap 10 is going to have a 
banner season this year and just make everyone be quiet. I think it was three seasons ago. I said, this is going to be the last special year yeah. from Adam Jones. And look, Adam Jones, he's a pretty good player. He's not a superstar. But let me ask you this. 750 players in Major League Baseball, right? 750? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Adam Jones is a top 100 player? And by that, I'm saying, do you think that there are three players on each team better than Adam Jones? Yes. You do? Yes. All right. But I think he's close. I think he's I think he's probably a top 100 player. I think he's probably a top 125 player. When you talk about top 100, that doesn't necessarily sound so impressive until you think about it. Yeah. You know, you look at the the top players on each team, you know, is Adam Jones head and shoulders in there with that group? Uh, I I think he's, you know, I think he's in that group. You think he's knocking on the door. I'm hoping for good things from uh, from Captain America this year. I'm hoping too. I, I've got a funny feeling that the World Baseball Classic is going to carry through for him for the entire season. He's going to keep that chip or whatever it is on his shoulder, and he's going to be like, all right, it's time for me to represent for my team and my country and just kind of put this team on my back. But yeah, I like Adam Jones. I just don't think of him as a, a, a top 100 player, but that, that's just me. See, Scotty, I just think he's going to carry this team into that 86th win. I think Chris Davis is a top 100 player. Really? But I don't think that Adam Jones is a top 100 player. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like a good segment for another podcast. Yeah. I would, I would love to hear more about that. All right. I want to I want to hear some bold, crazy predictions. We're usually very good at this. We're not hitting them, but we are but normally making pretty good with this. The bold, crazy predictions. So, Scotty, let's take let's just take two each. All right, all right. I want your bold prediction for this year. All right, my first bold prediction is that um, Buck Showalter, who is pretty mild mannered and hasn't been thrown out, will be thrown out um, at least half a dozen times this season nice all right my my first bold prediction after all the doom and all the gloom i think by the end of the first half going into the all-star break that chris tillman has the most wins of any starter on the club zero chance zero chance but hey you do that jake i'm gonna go with an easy one my bold prediction is a baltimore oriole will lead the majors and home runs jeez that is very bold Wow. Wow. That you went out on a limb I went on that out one with that one. You did indeed. All right. Here's my last bold prediction for the season. I think okay. I think it's the best chance I've had. Okay. The whole time we've been doing this podcast. All right. I think just to snub their nose at Major League Baseball, someone will come into contact with an intentionally walk uh, a pitch made from an intentional walk attempt. Okay. I think that someone will try to throw the pitches and someone will reach out and hit it. Somebody in baseball this year will hit a ball as part of an intentional walk. All right. Final bowl prediction. Got to do it. J.J. Hardy is going to get hurt and going to be out for a significant portion of the season. Manny Machado will move to shortstop and in doing so will become the MVP of baseball. (laughs) All right. All right. Well done. That one really was for Cal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, we don't usually do very well with this. Let's let's see uh, if we can... The, the show before the bevies this year, we'll see if we can check in back with these predictions, see how we're doing. Maybe. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see if these don't just get scrubbed from the, from the archives. Jake, I want to do something else with you. Um, so yeah, last you year, we did Fantasy Boss, and honestly, it kind of got old a, a little quickly. So I, I'd like to do a new segment this year, if you don't mind, um, and uh, see how well you do with it, Okay. I'm terrified. 
All right, Jake. So we know deep down in your heart you're a music aficionado. Is that not correct? That is close to being correct, yes. And mainly from, we'll call it the 1960s, 70s, and a little bit into the 80s, but yeah, it's 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 getting dangerous in the eighties. My my heart uh, lies in nineteen sixties top forty, and once you hit nineteen eighty seven, I'm no good. So here's what I want to do. My game this year is I've gone and collected a bunch of bootleg copies of music. Oh lord! And what I'd like to do is you will have ten seconds to note what this music is and name the band and the given uh, name of the song. And if you're unable to do that, we're going to talk statistics for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So are you willing to accept this challenge for this season? I'm willing to do that. But I, I will tell you, since there do appear to be some statistically uh, oriented notes here, I think it's going to be difficult. It, this may be difficult. So folks, we're going to call this segment for the rest of the season Deep Cuts. So these are B-side tracks that have been bootlegs. There may be some live recordings in here as well. Uh, there might be some soundboard uh, audio as well. Uh, from some concerts. So, uh, Jake, here is one, uh, and I'll give you a hint. This one is from the 1980s, so good luck with this one. I think you're going to be able to get this one, though. I left the norm, I sound, I Anything? No, what is that? I'm going to play a little bit more. I think you turned me on to these guys back in the day. Now, this is the Smiths. Have you, you've heard yeah, of the Smiths. Yeah, I know the Smiths. So this is, is it really so strange, Jake, from the B-side? So Jake, I believe you're going to have to be brushing up a little bit this year on some of your deep cuts. That's all I get? I get one shot every week? You get one shot every week, oh, and we're going to talk... Baseball statistics. All right. All so right. you're going to have to get to work, okay? Your daughter is going to kill me, basically, because <laughs> you're going to listen to so many B-side cuts uh, for this. So, uh, Jake, there was an interesting discussion on a Utah Street Report, actually, from Derek Arnold. And uh, he made note of a horizontal move difference um, in terms of Kevin Gossman's four-seam fastball. So what Derek noticed was that the horizontal movement had basically doubled. So Basically, Kevin Gossman potentially was seeing double the amount of movement across the plate um, that he what it was in previous season. He included this GIF, or actually this video, of um, him striking out Russell Martin on this pitch. And I got to say, it was impressive. But looking at it, I wasn't buying the numbers. And Derek was really excited about it. But here's where I would warn people. Um, apparently, uh, the whole pitch FX system is going through a brand new rework. Um, a bunch of the camera systems is being redone. Well, they're replacing pitch FX with Statcast, with, which is a trackman actually. So it's a little bit different optic system that's going on. So um, this actually fooled a bunch of people. It, it fooled Dave Cameron earlier in the day, um, where people were seeing an extra one mile per hour on the velocity. And there's been a few pictures off um, in terms of where the trackman or is located in the stadium. So here was my understanding. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I w- my understanding was that the the pitch effects, as far as speed, intercepted the ball at a certain point, yes, like fifty feet from home plate or correct. something like that. Whereas the trackman is able to differentiate the velocity at its highest point that from the hand to home plate. Yes. So my question to you is this: Yeah, are we going to be in this in a, in a brave new world, right, where we are getting a 
I'm not, I don't want to call it more accurate. I don't want to call it uh, more more gracious. Uh, you know, more more uh, beneficial. But are we literally going to draw a line in the sand and say from 2017 on we're getting a higher velocity reading on guys and Prior to that, they're going to be lower, and we're just going to have to deal with it. No, because what's going to happen is um, the nerds are going to get together, and we're going to do a calibration baseline. And we're going to basically say, hey, if this was the case beforehand, we are going to come back and retroactively set this to a common baseline, similar to like how war is done and stuff like that, is saying we're going to make sure that everything is on the same page so that we don't have this issue. So what I would say is... The beginning of this season from some of the statistical aspects in terms of pitch FX and some of the data is going to be a little funky. So I wouldn't make any assumptions worth of data um, immediately after this. It's probably going to take a few games. Um, I would not come back and look at this for at least two to three weeks and allow the error values to come back down. Won't this also make it more difficult, though, to compare players uh, from today from players of say the 90s well first well first of all there was no pitch fx being done in the 90s so the earliest pitch fx was happening during the mid-2000s right but their radar gun was there so you knew about where nolan ryan uh, ryan sat in 1991 as far as velocity was concerned and if you try to compa- compare that now to you know anybody you're absolutely right there's no way in the world that you can uh, falsify radar whatsoever i mean that's how <laughs> you know uh, pitchers in the past like Sidney Ponson were able to throw it up there at 99 miles per hour based off of um, off the radar at Camden Yards. Who are we to judge Sidney Ponson? Yeah. Who are we to judge except for, for an Aruban judge? But uh, no matter what you do in whatever equipment, it, it can be always be altered to um, give a false data point. I think this comes back to you've got a new piece of software um, that is being used for data integration. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Trackman's been out there for such a long time. It's not going to be hard to do a correlation between that and PitchFX with just a little bit of wiggle room. It's just that all the databases were set up to basically import the data and be like, that doesn't look right. Like, what happened here? Um, give it a little bit of time and all the databases will be up and jiving pretty well. Do you think there are going to be any benefits from the Trackman system? I do really like Trackman. Um, I think that there's going to be some significant benefits, not so much in... Um, vertical or and or horizontal movement or velocity but i think we're going to see some really interesting results in terms of spin rates um, that we haven't been able to see um, with great success uh, with pitch fx in the past all right all right so we have met the quota of statistical talk for deep cuts i'm gonna have to go back and hit the books so jake put your headphones on next time and uh, listen up Uh, i think next week just as an fyi i'm going to go back to the 60s with the one i selected got a nice one from 1967 that i think you'll enjoy but we'll cover deep cuts more next week and we'll continue to do this on a weekly segment just to drive jake insane and with that it's time to find out who was good who was bad and who was ugly That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Scott, I'm going to ask you to go first this week. That's fine. I can do that. That's not an issue. Jake, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but I'm going to go with the USA, USA, USA. Great chant, Birdland. Love it. Keep it up. Uh, I really want to see more of this, and I don't want to just see it during the Toronto Blue Jays series. I want to see it 
all year long. So I didn't even think about the Canada thing. Yeah, so I, I want to continue to hear this um, day in and day out. Adam Jones is the captain. Let's make this a uh, a new namesake for him, and let's go from there. I like him. My good for this week is kind of strange, but my good is Trey Mancini. And I have to be honest, I was torn with his addition to the Major League roster. Are you all out of faith? I, this is how I feel. Cold and I'm strange. Um, he forced his way out of the club with a good spring training, uh, but I don't want him to be here on scholarship. I want him to be here because he's one of the 25 best players. And the Orioles are convinced that Mancini's bat will play in the majors, and if only for one day, they were vindicated. Uh, so to help the club moving forward, he's got to do one of two things. He's either got to get at-bats on a regular basis here, or he's got to go to AAA, and he's got to learn how to play an outfield position to make himself u- useful enough to be here on an everyday basis. I, I don't know. Can he do it without going back down to AAA? Can he make this this pinch-hitting, uh, part-time play thing work? We're going to see how often the Orioles play against left-handed pitching. And to a certain regard, I think the Orioles are going to play a lot of left-handers when the season first begins by going to playing people in New York, playing Boston, stuff like that. I just am curious when the platoon situation ends. Um, I think it's going to work out for him for a while um, until Chris Tillman gets back. And I think when Chris Tillman gets back, I think that's pretty much the end of it. Somebody's got to go. Look, it's going to be Mancini or Rickard sent down. I I don't think Gentry is going to get DFA'd. I think that that they look at this, you know, roster manipulation and say, we can keep all of this in the organization. Let's just keep it. Especially with the 10 day DL. It is so easy for them to roster manipulate right now um, and and kind of do that. So, absolutely agree. Uh, I think Mancini is going to be up here longer than we all expect. But the other thing is, too, like he's definitely going to play tomorrow night on Wednesday. It'll be interesting to see how well he does defensively and whether he gets the boot out of here quicker based off of some poor defensive performances. And you can only judge him on what he does and when he, when, he's, when his number's called. But for one day, he was good. Right. All right, let's go to bad. Uh, I don't know if this is bad or not, but I certainly don't like it looming over the Orioles, and that's the flu. Um, the only thing I would say— The bird flu? Yeah, yeah. So Darren O'Day, of course, has it. Wade Miley has it. A part of me says— you know, it's actually kind of good because it gives them a chance to put people on the DL that don't really need to start the season, mm-hmm. and it gives them some roster manipulation. But a part of me also doesn't like that looming, what if they come out here and they don't have that endurance to get deep into the game because you're just going to further tax your, your bullpen further. Um, so I'm going to put this in the bad category because it just raises additional question marks. Um, but at the same point, I think it actually makes Dan Duquette and Buck Schwarter pretty happy because it lets them at least not get scolded by MLB. <laughs> My bad for this week is anybody who made a crack about Zach Britton in the pen from the wild card game when Britton came in to pitch the ninth on opening day. Look, Britton pitching the ninth and tenth would have meant nothing in that wild card game because the damage was done later. Secondly, Buckshaw Walter does this all the time in tie home uh, home games. Oh yeah, and second or third, let it go. Just let it go let it go let it go wait no i know this b-side i know this one. Oh, i i know you know that one it's your daughter's favorite movie of all time what's ugly uh, what's ugly is empty seats on opening day look i understand it was a sellout and i know all the tickets were sold but there must have been a lot of drunk people that did not make their way out to the stadium because there were plenty of seats to be had um just to kind of you know even in our section not even the upper deck there's plenty of sections you'd be like there's a seat down there i could move to there's a seat down there I'm not sure if it truly was a sellout. I'm not sure if the Orioles just maybe bought all the tickets and said, we're just going to sell it out just so that it doesn't look bad on our face. 
But certainly, I think that looking at the crowd and looking at how things are going to go, I certainly think that the April May attendance thing is going to come up once again this year. And a part of me also thinks that you know it's going to be a lightly attended season once again. I don't know what's it going to take for people to get their their butts into Camden Yards and really cheer on this team. This is a fun team to root for. Um, they are incredibly frustrating. But there is no reason why people should not be watching this team and living and dying by them every single inning. I think it's hard to look at the stadium and know because the center field bar is always packed. Dempsey's yeah. draws attention. Utah Street has people on it. But you're right. There were a lot there of, a lot of what seats. looked like empty seats. I'm not going to beat the drum because I, I did it last year and people gave me crap about it. I'm not going to beat the drum in April. And I'm Bring not it on, beat people. The drum Bring in it on. But if this team is in a playoff race in September... And they're struggling to sell the seats. Just like last year? That's a problem. Yeah. All right. My ugly for this week is you, Scott Magnus. Wow. We've been doing this now for a couple of weeks this season. And uh, for not what I expect to be the last time, you have been ugly. And I want to specifically talk about Sunday night. Sunday night, the Bird's Eye View Twitter feed was taken over by men in tight clothes. Yeah. What is wrestling? Look, I feel like wrestling was big when we were kids, and then we grew up. Well, some of us grew up and realized that we need to obsess over real sports, like Orioles baseball, which was not real for 14 years, and give up on the fake sports, like wrestling, that have entertainment value. But Scotty, I know nothing about wrestling, and my phone would not shut up about people talking about wrestling. I don't care about WrestleMania. I don't care about wrestling. And frankly, you, sir, are ugly. Can I tell you what wrestling is? Please do. Let me tell you what wrestling is. See, this is a reference I don't get. Jake, this actually wasn't even WrestleMania on Sunday. This was Next Takeover, uh, who our good friend Chris Maurer was at, and he was there for WrestleMania. Uh, that is Bobby Roode, next champion, and uh, he is glorious. No, no. I do not approve. I do not approve. You, sir, ugly. Well, some people are going to be wrong. Some people are going to be right. I certainly know what I'm t- talking about. Wrestling, it's here to stay. But I only do that once a year where I break protocol and go ahead and treat some WrestleMania quotes. Out. I'm going to have to find something super dorky to tweet out for one night. Something really off the wall. I'm going to get back at you for this. All right. I'm, we, I'm sure you're going to have a hard time finding something that we'll, dorky. We'll do, we'll do a BEV takeover for that. Hey, can you do me a favor? Yeah. Uh, can you go ahead and uh, blow the save for me, if you don't mind? Absolutely. Scotty, you were just talking about the fact that people needed to get their butts into the seats at Camden Yards to watch the Orioles play. But I think one piece of that needs to be underlined. You need to get to Camden Yards. Camden Yards turns 25 years this season. You know, the Orioles advertise it with the stadium that changed baseball, and it really did. The crazy thing about it is that there are only nine stadiums that are now older than Camden Yards. Camden Yards is now one of the great old parks of Major League Baseball. And it may be getting older, but it is still great. Orioles fans, take a moment to look around. We probably take it for granted. We take it for granted that day in and day out, we can go to one of the best places to watch a game. Some of the views at Canyon Yards are unique and amazing. 
I always tell people to go sit in section eight. It's so cool. It's that uh, section that sits in the corner uh, where uh, uh, first base side gives way to the outfield and it's pointed at the seats. Uh, it's pointed at the home plate rather than uh, the, the same direction as all the rest of the seats. There's the, the, the standing section at the flag court. There are really, really great unique pieces to Camden Yards, and you should make sure that you take advantage of them this season. You know what? Get up. Take a walk. Walk through. Act like a tourist all over again, because the Orioles have done a pretty good job of reinventing this stadium. We talked a couple of years ago about how they brought the orange back to the stadium. They've redecorated the place within the last five years, basically stem to stern. So, Orioles fans, check out Camden Yards. 25 years and still beautiful. And that, that's our show. So remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and review. It helps establish what's called a social proof for the show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing left, so I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. I know why they do it, but the off day after opening day is just the worst. It is truly the worst. It is the anticipation to get to a game, and then the wait, and then another wait. Oh, and then we have another wait for Thursday, too. As the Bard has said, the waiting is the hardest part. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.